For June 26th, 2023, it's the Overthinking and Podcast, episode 782. Meetings for the Meeting God, Briefings for His Briefing Throne. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers here, smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are hanging out and talking together, uh, talking over the things, uh, talking over the things that we love, talking over the popular culture. When I, whenever I try to explain to someone who isn't one of us uh, that it was about the popular culture, people would always say to me, "Like, oh, like the Kardashians? No, not like the damn Kardashians." <laughs> I'm Matt Rather. That is the hearty laugh of Peter Fenzel. Pete, yes. I think we have two hands today. Uh, it's a story two-hander. It's a story two-hander. We're back. Yeah. It's nice. Yep. It's nice. I liked uh, I like the player versus player podcasts during my <laughs> what during me, my, what me, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> during during my extended absence. But I'm glad I'm glad to be back to uh to a story two-hander about stories, no less. Mm, yes. About about stories um so listen we're uh, we don't call our shot a lot but ne- next week we're going to do the netflix show the diplomat um right. the the yeah we we uh actually mark uh introduced us to it he was supposed to be on being able to do it today uh was was held up actually by a <laughs> he was held up by uh by a stunning cliffhanger <laughs> <laughs> is what kept him from being on the at the very end he thought the story was over but at the very end there was a stunning cliff, cliffhanger in his case it was a traffic jam that prevented him from <laughs> from getting to us to to join us so uh, out of deference for our friend and colleague we're going to push that uh we're going to push that a week so you have a week to you know the reserve reading is in the library <laughs> uh you you have a week to uh hit up Netflix or you know your your local uh your local truck that things fall off the back of and watch The Diplomat. Uh it's a show that we all liked. Like we all we all had a, like a really good good reaction um to this show. Uh I ha- well you know what? I'm saving it. I'm saving it for next yeah. week. Pete, I'm saving it for next week cuz I yeah, have I've to say. But you know, what it it uh we've started talking about it and a little bit we've started talking about uh about things things about it talking around it as as we're want to do and and I think Pete, we need a prolegomenon. We need a prolegomenon to any future diplomacy. Uh, and so that's uh, you know that's that's uh, that's what I propose. That's what I propose that we do today. Uh, I you know like the diplomat a lot in um, in contrast to a lot of other spy shows that I've seen recently. Some of them on Netflix. Uh, yes. One of them was uh, the Night Agent, uh, mm-hmm. which is bad, and you should not watch. I also um, watched enough of the Night Agent to to concur with that conclusion, yeah, don't, which is a shame because I was excited given who was working on it. But. I wa- I watch it. Uh, I watch it. I, you know, I sometimes like there are certain kinds of light administrative tasks that I do where it is helpful to have like an action adventure television show, like an action thriller television show, playing in a corner of my second monitor. You know, just to kind yeah. of create some like noise and activity. <laughs> there are, yeah, you can't anything with like, like logic or anything with like symbolic, you know, reasoning or anything like that. It's, it's bad. It just, it, you can't do it. But, uh, certain kinds of like answering of emails or whatever, like it, it definitely benefits from, uh, from, you know, just having some kind of, some kind of noise. Um, uh, my boss at work does it with, uh, w- with CNBC. And it's, uh, I'm like, how can you watch that smut? But the, uh, you know, but he, he lives in a world where I guess it, uh, it is, it is helpful to kind of know because everyone else is doing it. It's sort of a shibboleth, I guess. Um, but the, uh, you know, and so I, I put the night agent on and I'm sorry to say, Peter, I watched the whole thing because it just autoplay, <laughs> you know, I just, oh, I stick wow. in the corner and it just, uh, it just autoplays. And, um, it was a world in which everyone was stupid, uh, yes. and, and things did not happen for a reason. And, uh, you know, people made, uh, magical transformations overnight and, uh, there was no logic to the, you know, or, or coherence, unity of, unity of theme or anything. So it was very, uh, you know, it was very, very disappointing. I also feel like I, I'm, God, I'm full of toasty takes tonight. I, I, I feel like the, the Jack Ryan franchise has been, um, 
you know, has been uh, de- declining in the John Krasinski, Jack Ryan's have been declining in quality with every, every new season from oh, pretty good in the first one to, eh, uh, in the, uh, in the most recent one. So there, you know, uh, there you go. I've been, I've been watching these, these spy shows and I've been thinking about, uh, you know, thinking about like, uh, what, what they say, what they say about the world, what they say about, you know, um, one lone renegade who who alone can't <laughs> you know what i mean who who alone can can know the truth and and uh shake up the sclerotic bureaucratic system to uh you know to achieve it's kind of like an anti the wire i suppose uh or it's like if you drop the highlander into the middle of the wire or something like that and he was like there can only be one baltimore police department and he went Shh. <laughs> And and I don't know. Suddenly, everywhere it was Hamsterdam. Pete, I, I I don't know. How do you feel like we should warm up to our our conversation about the diplomat next week? Well, okay. So obviously, don't want to spoil anything about the show. We're not going to talk about the diplomat the show much right now. But she cuts her hair in the second season. <laughs> she cuts her hair in the second season. The showrunners had no idea. Yep. Completely blows up the character. You yeah, know? exactly. Exactly. It's it's really a, a Felicity sequel. <laughs> Pretty much straight up. Uh, the same boyfriends. Everything's always the same. Yeah. But, yes, <laughs> but no, to talk more about what what are some of the non-spoilery ideas that came up while watching The Diplomat? Talking about the night agent is perhaps as good a way as any to get into that as well, because the night agent, which I don't mind talking about the very beginning of, has a cool concept. And I want and unpacking what this concept is. And this concept does not go on as far as I know to inform any of the rest of the show. Uh, But what this concept is, uh, is it's an interesting it has interesting uh, implications, how you define what this concept is. And what it is for. And I think they relate to what's going on in The Diplomat. And I think they relate in general to the rhythm of watching movies and shows these days, especially watching so many things that have such big story investments in them. Uh, right. And which is, I think, you know, you're we're no longer and not only that big story investments in them and a lot of sci fi and a lot of speculative fiction, a lot of stuff that jumps around a lot of fantasy comic books and stuff where you're jumping around from imaginary world to imaginary world. And also in the uh, political thrillers, you're after the Cold War. Right. And and also everybody is scared about saying something that offends somebody uh, to one degree or another or not. But that means that they're all in different versions of our world. Uh, that have been changed in various ways for your comfort or protection. Right. Um, but but like, OK, so then the concept of the night agent is that you have a guy who's very junior who has a job because he was a really good agent of some other kind. And he got busted down because he was on the wrong in the wrong place in the wrong time at, at, a, at, a, at a public transit bombing where like we know he was a hero, but he came off looking kind of bad. And because of this, he got kind of a crap job and his crap job is he sits in the basement of the White House and he answers a phone that rings at night. He is the night agent. And uh, and these calls come in rarely, and they only come in from secret agents in deep trouble, right? And they, and they, uh, and they call him, and he's just supposed to, like, write something down and relay it to somebody else with the idea that – uh, you know, the, if the show were episodic, you could see in every episode a different secret agent calling in. He relays it. And then there's like you're in the midst of a totally different kind of world is happening. Right. You're, you're sure. rapidly introduced to a new situation. So so when I say how you define it, I would say like, OK, the night agent has a setting. Like if you were to imagine the night agent, the one act play. Right. Where it's just his room where he has his phone. And again, none of this ends up mattering in the rest of the show, which is part of why the rest of the show is bad. Uh, it's like, oh no, we should just go to a gas station and argue in the parking lot for fifteen minutes. That's that's really what you would do. In well, the yeah, show. it becomes a, uh, it becomes a regular it becomes yeah. a regular kind of like a, kind of undistinguished action yeah. thriller. You know? Yeah, but it, but it, in particular because it has no distinct setting, as far as I can tell, it has no particular place where it's happening. Uh, and and so the room with the phone you might think of as a setting, but this world. With these secret agents who are out there who will call in to this phone, they are part of where the action is happening, but they're also part of what you might call the world building, right? They're they're something that, yes, we can think are a thing that might exist or exist in some way, but not exactly like this in our world, 
in the world we live in, uh, to the extent that we can know it and all of that stuff, right? That uh, that there are probably phones where people call them in an emergency, and there are probably secret agents, and so those two things probably intersect in some way. But this is a sort of speculative storytelling way of doing this, and we all know from our endless discussions of all of these different sci-fi fantasy comic book stories about, well, is the world building good? Is the world building bad? And what is the world building doing? And one of the things that struck me about, you know, The Diplomat, uh, which is that it was a show that I watched, but where the world building almost, it just, it didn't, I didn't feel compelled by uh, a case for the fictional world in which The Diplomat took place. I, I did not feel like my enjoyment of the show or uh, or or the value of the show artistically, you know, the sort of what it brought to the table was really highly contingent on at all buying into this this version of events in the world that's happening in the diplomat. The diplomat is very well performed. It's very well written. It has things that happen to imaginary people that are exciting, right? And like the imaginary people choose to do things that are exciting. But at no point am I like transporting myself into the world where the events of the diplomat are taking well, place. Well, yeah, we we used to have a word for this, and it was fiction. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Yes, <laughs> right, like, the diplomat is not real. That's that's like one of the big lines. Oh, that, right, right. Yeah. But also, uh, yeah. Sorry, so sorry. No, I, no, 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 no. You're right. You're right. You're right. I and feel like, real bad, Pete, because you were you were on a tear. I felt like I feel like then I just like uh, I just like I don't know brought a garden hose to your to your candle <laughs> and and extinguished it with with maximum prejudice. All, I didn't all, mean all that. of these shows trying to be 24 have to do that periodically, right? There's a plot happening and then something has to happen and everything has to change. Um, they're not all trying to be 24, just 24 hangs like a, like a, it stands astride them like a Colossus, right? But there's, I mean, um, you know, the idea you talked about, you know, um, big, big story investments and, and sort of drew a, drew a distinction between, I don't know what you might call like normal stories and then like speculative fiction where like the, it's incumbent on a writer to, I, I, you know, to sort of establish the rules of the game at the outset, yeah. right? Like, cause in, in, in speculative fiction, you're, you're not totally sure kind of what the, the basic rule set is. And that's like, I, I feel like everything is becoming that, uh, more and more. Like the big, you know, enough, like, uh, there, there are plenty of, of, I don't know, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, right? Is, is a story in which, um, you know, is a story in which, like, you actually don't need to know a great deal about the world. It's in the, in the context of the Cold War, but the, the, um, you know, the, the, the important thing is, you know, what's transacted between the characters. And the, those are just, you know, recognizably human, uh, types of interactions. And that's enough, right? Like, that's enough to build right. the story on. Um, but if you're, you know, if everything is a cinematic universe, right? Then, then, you know, the, the most basic, you know, the story about like walking to the, walking to the market to buy, uh, you know, to buy groceries is like, but in our world, you know, groceries are banned, right? like in, <laughs> but, in, but in our world, you know, and so a secret cabal of people operate, uh, around the clock to feed everybody and everybody has to eat, but nobody talks about having to eat, right? Like in the, you know, it's like, you can't, you can't just like, oh, it's a, it's a it's a stud thing about going yeah. to the store so, to to get groceries and the more you know the more everything becomes essentially a kind of real world speculative fiction right the more you the 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 more remarkable it is when a when a television show like the one we're going to talk about next week doesn't do a ton of gymnastics you know to sort of really self-consciously establish a frame around you know the, the what it's trying to do the setting it's trying to create yeah yeah exactly exactly and and I think that this distinction between setting and world building, as you're describing it, the 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 movie that comes to mind when you just said all that stuff is Shang Chi and the Legend of the is it the Five Rings? No, ten, ten rings. rings. There are ten, ten rings. rings. Yeah, they, they lost five of them. They're down to five. Was, they had, they had to cut budgets at Disney when Bob Iger <laughs> took back over. He's down to five rings. But yeah, in Shang Chi, the Legend of the Five Rings, it has it has settings. 
Uh-huh. And it even has world building associated with the settings. But then it has the world building, which happens after most of the movie has taken place. So, like, my favorite scene in Shang-Chi is when Shang-Chi is on the bus. And it's basically a Jackie Chan tribute where sure. you have this, like, young hero. He's on you know, having a martial arts fight on a bus that's going through a city, city street. It's pretty clear there are people involved with, like, supernatural abilities or part of long lost this or that. And, like, you're getting information about all of that, but you're getting it in the context of what's happening and then later it's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, there's like another world with a dragon and all this stuff. Um, but the point the point of the bus is, you know, the point of the bus is that um, there are familiar things being used in a surprising way. Just yes, like, yes, you know, yes. just like all the Jackie Chan fights, the like the glory, yeah. you know, his glorious use of props and set pieces, you know, in a, you know, a ladder, a fan, a, you know, whatever to to um, chopsticks like to to uh, bring to, you know, create this sort of surprising fight uh, that happens again. It's not world building and there may be world yeah. building like outside in the plot in the plots of those movies but yeah it's the it's the kind of the quotidianness of it that makes it uh paradoxically special and it makes me think i mean a whole bunch of different examples come up where i think when you look at like the the expanse is probably another big one uh, the books as well as the show where there really is a lot of effort put into the relationship between our world and this speculative fiction world and the commentary that's being provided therein but also it's experienced through the everyday objects of the people are involved. And I I don't want to go again down the rabbit hole of why everybody in the expanse should be drinking espresso and not drip coffee or whether that's what they're really doing, whether those are Nespresso pods or not, but, but communicating in a performing arts environment in particular around like sense memory and the experience of people, elements of the reality that they're in. Um, And that that's, and that, and then distinguishing the details that are being added by that versus the details that are being added by the way that the rest of the world is being fleshed out. I mean, that's one dynamic of it. But another dynamic of it is just I feel in discussions about fiction lately, I find myself frequently saying none of these people are real. Nobody actually died, right? Like none of this terrible stuff really happened as as if this is something that sort of needs to be remembered, so, so I ah, would say. So you've been you've been watching Marvel's Secret Invasion as well, I guess. As well. <laughs> that's not what it's in reference to, but yes, sure, I did watch the first episode of Marvel's Secret Invasion, and it's uh, that's so dead on. dire. It, everything <laughs> is such a downer. This is supposed to be entertainment. Like everyone is just in mourning all the time. Like just just like processing their grief. I mean, look, you're not going to find too many people who are more into the meta commentary being provided by. Furious Seven, uh, right? <laughs> the death of Paul Walker. Then me. Uh, then I. Then me. I forget. I've lost the. I've lost the case of the pronoun at this point. But there is a point at which the stakes in the fictional world are feel like they loom so large that the uh, the 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 enjoyment of the fiction. And the value of the fiction, like the reason we critique fiction is to gr- derive greater enjoyment from it. Right. And in, in, in general sense, right. To like imp- make to make uh, to make it better, you know, a better experience. And maybe that might be a moral experience for some people. And and maybe it might be uh, um, you an know, aesthetic, a more aesthetic experience. experience. Yeah, sure. Your aesthetics, and your morals are probably related. Uh, but, but the point being that like a big point of criticism is to you know interface with the enjoyment of something and to heighten it in some way. Uh, and, and so, like, I feel like a need to interrogate this whole idea of imaginary worlds as something that necessarily, like, is is making it better, um, like, like getting really invested in the reality of an imaginary world. I mean, this this is not necessarily a change for me either, because I tend to prefer the more absurd sorts of imaginary worlds, I guess, reflecting on this. Like it is I am talking about Furious 7. Where like you really should not be believing that a lot of the things that happen in this movie happen in real life, which serves as an ironic counterpoint to the fact that the biggest thing that doesn't happen in the movie does happen in real life, right. which is the thing that the movie is about. Uh, and and in that sense, you know, I don't. Uh, but it's also you can get caught up in the world building really easily. You could be like, well, Dom did this and Lady did that. I feel like when we talk about stuff on this podcast, we so often talk about the actors doing the things, which is alighting some uh, aspect of the suspension of disbelief, right? Be like, well, Vin Diesel did this and Michelle Rodriguez did that. And I feel like there's always a joke baked into that where we're sort of saying like we know none of this is real. 
Um, but but and also that our relationship with these people are, are kind of fabricated. Um, and, and we're sort of laughing about it, even as we're engaging in, in the, uh, well, it's in interesting. The, I, the Vin Diesel did this, you know, uh, Michelle Rodriguez did that, right? Like Ludacris did this, but Jack Reacher did that. You know right, what I mean? Like, right, right, so yeah. it's, it's interesting, like that, that they're, they're just ways. What, what it is, is, is like, we actually have more investment in their identities as whoever they are, as these other things than we have in their, their identities as the characters in, in the film. And like the names of the characters in the film don't come readily to mind, you yeah. know? Uh, like, you know, I, I, who knows what Dom's grandmother's name is in the <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. it's rita dan moreno you know it's like uh like that's that's who it is you know yeah yeah it's uh is that her grandmother is that who she is i don't even remember what their family relationship was in that movie i thought that was michelle rodriguez's mom but no that was dom's grandmother um, was it D- don's grandma I, yeah i thought it, it was, doesn't matter i thought it was don's race car driver father's oh mother. okay okay gotcha 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 Cool. Who is like 120 years old? Because Tom's like 60. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but no, but no, no, no. Uh, putting all that aside. Uh, you know what? I just checked on IMDb and her character name is Abuelita. Okay. So, okay. you know, not I'm not the only one who doesn't know what her character's name is. Un- understandable. Okay. So, so when I think about feeling really invested in the things that happen in a fictional reality. I think about how the story has drawn me in and gotten me attached to what has happened. So I think the biggest weird maelstrom of nonsense we've been all involved in is Star Wars, right? Sure. Where like, as a child, you know, I watched the Star Wars movies and I really liked them. And as a teenager, I watched them again and I really liked them. And I would read books and you play with toys and stuff. And there's this extended literature and and that there's a phenomenon of like caring what happens to all of these fictional people that is born out of intense experience with these representations and how they're brought to life by artists and performers. And then later, as we go back through this world, there's this presumption that uh, that the that relationship continues. And to an extent, it's a warranted presumption because the behavior stays like that. But in other ways, I think it's worth you know, poking at a little bit like, you know, has and I, I don't, I don't want to make this a Star Wars podcast because there are too many of those. But but it's an example, right? Like you you care about Grogu. Sure. Right. But Grogu earned it. You know, like like I, I should not go into every single Star Wars thing with the assumption that I care about the things that happen in the fictional world as if they happen to people that I know necessarily because I don't love the world that it's in. I love the relationships with the characters, right. From the stories that I've liked. And also because the world just sort of extends infinitely in all directions now. Uh, well, I mean, it's a galaxy, so I guess it does have, it does have physical boundaries, but like, um, you know, some, something, another one that came to mind as we're talking is twilight. Uh, twilight's, I think a good example where the world building tended to be pretty modest in the core story, Right. Like there's the part of Twilight, which totally is it makes sense. And it's also the most disturbing part where it's about, uh, 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 you know, from the perspective of a teenage girl dating a teenage boy who secretly is thousands of years old or hundreds of not thousands, hundreds of years old or whatever. Right. Like and he's a vampire. Right. And there's this sense of the unknown. And there's this sense that this other person knows more than I do. And there's a sense of like sort of burgeoning adulthood is this and the expanse of time that it represents both mortal and immortal that's associated with kind of entering into that phase of your life um, and, and all the fear and excitement associated with all that stuff. Like, I get that. I get I get Spike. I get Angel. I get you know, the Cullens, I get the idea of like a paranormal romance between a person and a vampire. Um, and then you sort of extend outward from that. And it's like, okay, it's the Pacific Northwest. There's also werewolves. Great. The werewolves are also native Americans. Great. Like, and then there's this other vampire family. Great. And then it's like, okay, like I'll watch the twilight movies and another character will show up, but like, I'm not invested in them at all relative to how I am invested in like Edward and Bella and Jacob because the story is about like their relationship. Right. So like um, I don't care what happens to any of the other 
creatures or people. And furthermore, and this is, I think, really what it comes down to is like if all of a sudden it was just like in the Twilight world, it was like there's been a horrible bus bombing. Right. And like a whole bunch of people have died. Like, I don't feel sad about that because it's not real. Right. Like like the the uh, the the things that happen in the Twilight world uh, feel real to the extent that there's like a social identification with the characters and the world exists to serve the characters. So like other things that happen in that world, like to me, I don't want there to be real stakes or like I don't feel like I should think that there should be real stakes. And if I am – really it's on me as the viewer. As I'm approaching Twilight in this way, it's like I don't really want to be drawn in. I mean The Hunger Games is another example, right, like which we've talked about tons and tons and tons of times. Um, the Magicians you know, is another example. I watched a lot of that show, and I liked that show. you know. But like I think that The Magicians had a pretty healthy relationship with how silly it was. Uh, in the later seasons in particular. And like it would go back and forth between things that were really silly and really serious. But I feel like approaching that as a viewer, I don't want to feel about things that happen in that show as if they happened in real life. And if my viewing experience is bringing me to that place, like I probably need to reevaluate what I'm doing. You know, if like it's like, okay, you know, sure, you know, Quentin Coldwater and whatnot, bad things happen to him, bad things happen to his friends. I can feel sad because a lot of art is about feeling and processing feelings. But then all of a sudden, let's say that there's like, you know, uh, you know, a, a plague or something or like uh, and it's like, well, COVID was real. Right. Like, I don't need the fictional plague that isn't COVID or related to COVID to, like, feel bad about. Um, I mean, I guess I, you sort of get what I'm saying. It's, it's more than even just large scale stuff, because there's also small scale stuff that happens in these worlds where it's like I, f- I often feel like. I've entered into these fictions habitually expecting to care about everything that happens. And and I want as a viewer to in order to both get more out of it and enjoy it more and also to kind of like have a relationship with it where thinking about it is kind of interesting and and makes sense and is useful and and feels kind of it has a whole to it, it has a sort of coherence to it that I am basing my reactions to some of the stuff that happens in the, in the fact that I'm watching fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've rambled a whole lot. there. No, Matt. it's, that's um, what people pay for. Yeah. yeah. Thank you to our members who keep the lights on. You're building thank you to everybody you're, else who you're paid building, a lot less. You're building the world, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The world of our podcast, like hopefully people care about you. They care about me. They care about Matt, Mark. They care about everybody else who's ever been on it. But if all of a sudden it was like, Oh, by the way, you know, there's a horrible, there's a horrible shortage of, um, essential medicine in this world, uh-huh. you know, and it's like, you know, greed for it. And it's like, well, I mean, there's real people that have that problem. <laughs> and like, like, Oh, this is the real world. What world are we even in? What's even happening? Um, but yeah, I guess, I guess with, with shows that approximate, okay. You talked about Jack Ryan. Um, talk about Wait, like, clear, I, pr- I, clear, I kind of wanted to talk. I wanted to talk a little bit about the, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the overthinking and cinematic universe though. Oh yeah. By, know, all that, means, by all means, by all means. Sorry. We, I was going to, well, we have a new calendar coming out with the firemen. <laughs> that, was, that was my favorite part of the overthinking and cinematic universe that Ryan and I introduced, which is that the overthink overthinking it has its own fire department, but it's a sexy fire department. That's only used to make charity calendars. Uh-huh. And so when we have actual fires, it tends to be a, a terrible catastrophe. Yeah. The only, <laughs> the only fire that we said, uh, sorry, no, it's got to keep it. Yeah. PG-13. That, is, that is of course from the 24 live another day or was it 24 die another day. Oh yeah. One of, the most, one of the most, yeah, yeah. And you and Ryan sort of created one of the most creatively successful things we've ever done on this yeah. uh uh on this uh this whole so enter- this whole enterprise so dumb. um <laughs> cold brew coffee is a painstaking <laughs> an artisanal podcast yeah. i was about to say like yeah. we should introduce the werewolf clan you know what i mean like is there another podcast you know that we should you know, oh, it, the, the, that we should make do some world building for our podcast right exactly so that, so that people that, have things they have no reason to care about that they feel forced to care about because they've been, have been habituated to do it exactly. by watching too much speculation exactly fiction. and you can care more about that than any story any you hear on person. the news yeah exactly you can use I mean, it like, to derive insights to make decisions about the real world you can, right? you can I be mean like, you well, can use it to break up friendships based on like yeah. whether you like this or that character more you know yeah. 
yeah. you can like you can create all kind it can wreak all kinds of havoc in uh in your life i mean the dummy pete is that it would be called underthinking it i mean not that that's the bad well, version yeah. but like uh you know but uh I, right we need our other we need our um you know, we need our, our competitor podcast, the other podcast okay. on the other side of the on the other side of the hill. Well, here, here's the thing. I think we have a we have an evil podcast. Uh, it's just called Ruffles. Uh-huh. Uh, Ruffles is the name of a dog. It's a it's a labradoodle. Uh-huh. And, and the dog has a bunch of friends that talk to the dog about pop culture. And the dog just barks. But the friends act like the dog is speaking in English uh-huh. and have conversations with the dog that are like one-sided um but everybody guesses that they know what the dog is saying um we all have different reasons to hate them because they were all established early on uh you hate them because they were very demeaning towards your your uh your basset hound by yes referring to him as like a lesser breed of dog and like the labradoodle is sort of a superior like you brought gus to a dog park and then ruffles was there but like ruffles, ruffles yeah. would, wouldn't talk to gus or bark with him oh no absolutely can we make it a can we make it a golden doodle just to, a just golden to doodle, yeah. piss, piss off my sister-in-law you, you tried to it, pretend that gus could talk and then like the other person didn't really take the joke and was like you know ruffles really can talk and we kind of maintain this k-fab yeah um and then i don't get along with them because uh because one of them um was at a family restaurant that i was going to with my family and like had reserved a specific table and I got kicked out of it and I had to like move my family and there weren't enough booster seats. Mm-hmm. And so my kid had to sit with like his chin just above the level of the table. Mm-hmm. And there's like these shots of me, like looking at them angrily and this like kid with his, with his head just above the level of the table as like the ruffles, the fancy ruffles podcast with their, with their fancy Patreon supporters that they thank the dog thanks them. So they doesn't even say anything. Everyone thinks the dog's saying their name. The dog doesn't talk. Come on, man. It's why can no one see this? That Ruffles doesn't talk. It's uh, everyone just buys into the hype, man. I don't I don't I don't get it. I'm so frustrated. He never offers any insights on anything. They just make it up. <laughs> the, the, the golden doodle has no clothes. No, exactly. Why even when you dress him this? up, even when you dress him up in those yeah. frankly ridiculous outfits, the yeah. golden doodle has no clothes. I did feel bad. I did feel bad when uh, when Jareth. Jareth, who's the producer of the Ruffles podcast, <laughs> who like talks in over the mic sometimes because they have a studio shades of, they record. Jareth, shades of Jarnathan. Yeah, Jareth and Jarnathan. Jareth, Jareth actually had a really bad accident uh, where like he just slipped on some ice and like really busted his leg up like really, really bad. And we actually participated in like the GoFundMe fundraising for 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 Jareth's injury. But like then they sort of bought a whole bunch of new equipment and took like a fancy trip, like around the time that they raised a bunch of money for Jared's injury. And so we still suspect that they stole the money for Jared's medical care. Uh, but we can't prove it. And no, we also but, sound uh, like crazy people, but also, but uh, yeah, but, but, uh, you know, Belinky, who's a fan of like uh, detectives and heists and things like this yeah. is going on a, uh, is going on a mission mission <laughs> inside the, yes. uh, inside yes. the he's other podcast. Them. Yeah, yes. exactly. So he's, yeah. uh, yeah. So he's a double agent, you know, he's yes. going to try to, He's Ooh. gonna, gonna try. He's disguised himself as a Chat GPT front end, that uh-huh. they, as an AI, like an AI app that they're using to develop their pop culture takes. But it's a total Mechanical Turk situation where he they just like type into a browser that he has open sure. and he has to like respond to them. Yeah, he's calling uh, it. Yeah, he's calling it uh, Rough GPT. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so rough gpt is an inside job that we've set up to try to infiltrate the ruffles podcast the ruffles <laughs> pop culture podcast labradoodle uh you they call themselves your smart funny labradoodles on labradoodles on the internet and then we're in an extended trademark dispute with them. <laughs> and that's and that's some world building that's right some world there. building. now you have a world are you happy Did you not like the world you were in i mean i know that's probably why you're you're escaping from it right now like i don't blame you for that but now you have a better world with a whole bunch of details you have to remember. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, exactly. With a whole with a whole bunch of details you have to remember. But how can you yeah. pay as a person who's read both Fire and Blood and uh World of Ice and Fire, Pete, how can you complain about that? Well, that's the thing. I'm trying to complain. I recognize that the problem is me. <laughs> that that's sort of I'm the problem, it's me. You know, and, we talked about Taylor and Swift. And that's Taylor Swift, you know, as reflected through a thousand like the facets, like a like a prism or a diamond or something, a thousand facets of social media posts, you know. 
So like so for another example, right? I recently I'm a I'm a Tad Williams fan. I've enjoyed write, reading some Tad Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I particularly like his Austin Ard books, and I've been reading his sort of Return to Austin Ard series. And uh, waiting for the latest one to come out, I went back. I was like, I'll read another series by Tad Williams, and I and I re- started reading Shadow March. And uh, this is a story. Like one of the the running themes in Tad Williams books is you read them and you're like, oh. How much of this did George R. R. Martin rip off? <laughs> but uh, but um, I mean, that's what you think if you're me and you, and you feel that way about it. But when they start going into like it's a castle and it's kind of on the edge of the north and then there's a barrier beyond the barrier live like the sort of fey people from the ages gone by. Right. And like and, and like and a dark have, forest or something. And there's, right? yeah, there's yeah. dark forest and like people are coming through and nobody's come through in generations and everybody's kind of forgotten what's what it's all about. And this is what and this is the 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 dragon bone chair uh, at seek. You, this is the guy who wrote Dragon Bone Cherry. Yeah, okay, got, so it, like, got it, got it. So, like, the dra- I'm, I'm describing to you, like, the beginning of Shadow March, which is somewhat indistinguishable in broad strokes from parts of the, both the Dragon Bone Chair and the Game of Thrones, uh-huh. like, just sort of the high-level world-building stuff. But there was, like, a point where I got in it where I just started feeling heavy, you know, and where I just sort of started feeling like I have to lift this one, too. And it's it's almost like I get so invested. Maybe, th- maybe that's really the takeaway here is, like, I get so invested and I care so much. I go into works of fiction looking for something to care about. I think I think that that's often what I'm doing. I like I like and that might be why I love heroic stories so much. I mean, I love 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 stories where somebody comes back at the end to save somebody, you know, when you thought that they weren't going to make it, you know, and it's just like I'm looking in fiction for caring. I think that's like a main thing that I'm looking for. Um and uh and so, like, I go into these fictional worlds, like, really open to the idea of becoming very invested in them. And there's a sense in which this has become something of a burden, I think, where I just am starting to feel like it's just too much. Or maybe it's like part of the changes that happen to you as you uh, have, or it's like, I shouldn't say you, but like, as I've had kids, it might be part of that where my like budget for caring about imaginary people is a lot less than it used to be because I have to care for real people who, if I don't take care of them, are going to throw themselves on their face and injure themselves, you know, terribly in various ways. You know, they don't need to drive a, a, a car out of a skyscraper in order to hurt themselves very badly in a way that makes me sad. Right. Um, but like, I don't know. I, that seems like it's, that just seems like it's making an excuse, but it does seem like it's become something of a habitual thing to like, delve into these imaginary worlds and i'm starting to feel some part of my psyche push back on it and be like you know this isn't real you know like like you you enjoy it you know like have fun watching this but like this isn't real don't necessarily just dive headfirst into accepting this as if reality right like i mean that's that's part of part of what i've been i mean i'll I'll just pause there i'll just pause and take a breath because i just said something rather than you yeah, launch into another topic. Well, I think that, um, like, I, I, do you think it's a growing up thing? <laughs> right? I mean, possibly, like, that, possibly, that, like, possibly. People have been listening to us for a long time. Maybe they're like, finally, they figured it out. Um, they finally more, grew up a little bit. Well, sure. Or, or there's more. It just is more like what what you're into, what you're into at one stage versus at a at another stage of your life. I like. I think back to how much, and I I enjoyed your guys's D and D podcast that that uh you had the good fortune to to be able to have Ben on for and you know and then I I saw the the Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves movie um afterwards and uh enjoyed it more for having having listened to to what you said about it and I remember being oh god what 10 11 12 right and getting the uh 18d second edition player's handbook you know um from at the time TSR I think and yeah. like the hardcover you know with the art and the the like I think the two-tone printing I think it was blue and white maybe and like and the idea that like this is like this is everything you know like it's all yeah. in here like I want to I want to learn all these rules like I want to you know I like I want to and and the the more the more you realize that none of it actually matters you know like <laughs> that that or the more that you realize that that's not where the action is really, you know, in what is important in art or life, uh, you know, that, the that the rule set is not where the, um, the really interesting stuff is transacted. Uh, the, maybe the, the less patience 
you have. Yeah. Um, now that that's a very simplistic theory that I'm that I'm proposing that that might f- a little bit flatten a lot of the complexity in in what you're talking about. But are, are, do you think we're just getting too old for this stuff? I'm um, getting I'm getting too old for this poop. I mean, it's quite possible. I I think that because um, I, I also one book I think about a lot um, is the second edition Paladin's Handbook. Uh-huh. Did you did you ever have for any length of time any of the Dungeons and Dragons second edition like extended character sub what we would call now subclass guides? No, I never uh-huh. had any of those. I had a monstrous compendium, yeah. which was awesome because it was a three ring binder. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, they had they had like the you know the thief handbook the the, yeah. the, uh, the so the paladin handbook brought you through all different versions of the idea of a paladin, and so again I'm not what I'm not saying is that oh you're getting too old for this kind of thing, it's more like are we getting too old or too saturated for this style of enjoying it that we need to sort of change the styles because when you think about it, oh it's a book about a whole bunch of different ways of conceiving of a role-playing character of a paladin like how do you and it has a bunch of art in it that depicts different ideas of the paladin right um the the knight errant the cat you know i think a cavalier was in the book even though that's a different thing or something along those lines yeah. right like um there's one that was really devout or one that's a master of arms and like they all have different references to like there's a relationship that that stuff has with real life so if you want to look at it as learning things there is a way to use it as a as a gateway to learning, or as a sort of gives you a learning type feeling, mm. um, which which maybe is worse. Like I got that learning type feeling, um, but but like the I the like or you know there's a whole bunch of different kinds of stories and different kind of characters you could form because of this book, right? You could play these different characters, you could learn about different sorts of archetypes of fictional characters, you could kind of experience or try on how they might participate in different stories. The art is inspired by the different ideas. And so that as that inspiration, just, just the act of being inspired can itself be watchable. You know, like, like if, if you see a performer who's really inspired, you see an artist who's really inspired and then whatever it is that they go about doing, they could be really, you, you could have some aspect of sort of hidden connection or kind of hidden creativity in there. That could be something really cool, but what isn't, as enjoyable to me these days would be going to that and trying to learn like all the different kinds of paladins that exist in second edition Sons and dragons. Sure. Right. Like, like as if this were a thing, a place that was real, that was populated by all these myriad of people. But when I was younger, it definitely felt that way. Right. It definitely did. It definitely felt like all of these things exist in a sort of numinal space separate from my reality. And I'm sort of going into this to find out about this i i do wonder if it's something also about the changing nature of the world as much as it is about us especially in terms of how much information is generally available to you about anything at any given time Uh Um, because you know if i had that book it's probably the only book i have about knights in my house and i I didn't even own it i borrowed it from a dear friend of mine and eventually gave it back like a year and a half later but uh so i apologize for holding on to it for so long but like i didn't have a time like that and once in future king and so if i was on a night kick like that's what i had in my house i wasn't going on the internet to read anything else about it like i'm gonna go to go read the world book go to the library right like uh you know it's it's uh it would be a barrier to find out more there's this idea of all this information that I don't have is like out there and I just have to kind of go look for it and I can find it. But that like you crack open a book and you could discover some of it. Um, their signal to noise ratio is going down uh, huh. is, is maybe part of it. It's like it's like the the um, the sheer quantity of different kinds of world building that I encounter and how fast I encounter new ones seems to make a lot more of it feel just like static. Just like, and I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily think it's bad. I don't think Shadow March has bad world building. I mean, maybe it does. I've only read the first like 50, 60 pages, but like, I, I don't thought you were about to say, I've bad. only read the first 50, 60 volumes. No, yeah. I've only read the first, I mean, with, with Tad Williams, it's like 700, 800, 900 pages of books. So like, it's, you know, it's really six volumes in one, you know, you get, you get, you get your value at the, at the Walden books where you bought this thing. Uh, although these are not that old. These are, these are from the two thousands, but, um, but yeah, it's just like uh, um, what it, you can get something out of it if you're going to look for something that you don't have. 
whether it's like an escape or like a means of self-expression or some way of processing something or adventure, a feeling of adventure that you didn't have before. But like how many of them are really giving you something new, yeah. you know, or interesting or, or inspired, um, you know, like, like maybe a lot of them, maybe you can't get enough, but I think I feel like I'm starting to feel like I'm getting enough. Yeah, oh, uh, absolutely. I, yeah. you know, I'm immediately put in mind of that great bil- uh, world builder, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, or Jesus of Nazareth, I should say, Pete, yep. who said, uh, why spend your money for what is not food? <laughs> that's it, you know, right? Does that's, he say that? Yes, that's why yeah. spend your money for what is not food. Your wages for what what fails to satisfy. Um, that is uh, the unless I'm I'm uh, mixing up my big biblical quotations there, right? That that uh, that is to say, like um, it it is probably worth it to take a a sort of self critical pause or right? a self reflective pause and say w- w- all all of this activity. <laughs> Yeah. You know, what does this actually get me? You know, like what, what does this actually allow me to do that I wouldn't be able to do in a story about going to the grocery store? Right. Like yeah. why, why is it important to have the secret cabal, um, of, uh, why, you know, why is it important to have the secret cabal of grocery elves? You know, right. yeah, gr- yeah, yeah. Grocery. Well, and why is it important to have ten different kinds of secret cabals of grocery elves that all are in different kinds of shops? Right, <laughs> right. Like, and like, and again, I mean, you could say like, well, each world building is a different commentary on the world, and so you should kind of seek out different world buildings that give you like different attitudes about what people say. And it's like, you know, okay, uh, you know, um, I could do that, but I also that's not like like I'm encountering these things as I encounter them. And so I guess I'm I'm not even at the point where like I don't I don't know I you would have to be in a very interesting place I think for your enjoyment of all this stuff to be purposeful. Did you feel your enjoyment? I don't feel like my enjoyment of pop culture is purposeful. Mm. Like I feel like it, there's a lot of chance involved with what I watch any given time, and that so if someone were to say like you really should plan it more, I would just be like that's just not what my life is like. I don't I mean <laughs> I, I don't I haven't seen Guardians of the Galaxy three and I loved Guardians of the Galaxy two. Right. Like, so I don't really intentionally get to see things the way that I want to see them. Like I I, am at the point where like a lot of my capacity is taken up. And so like my pop culture journey is one in which I'm something of a passenger. But I would suspect that that's kind of true for a lot of people most of the time, you know, that like we overestimate how much we control what we encounter in in our everyday lives. Um, And uh, and so like. I both have to, yes, accept that, you know, a different world building may give me a different perspective. It may lead to fiction that has a different motive. Um, but I am encountering so many of them. Peep. You know, like, oh, it's, yeah. it's just, sorry, you go ahead. No, I was, I was sorry. I thought I, I thought I heard the, I thought I heard the cadence of the, of the cadence there, but that, that it, it wasn't. Um, I, it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it is. I, I actually you like see with Jason Momoa, Matt, it's got perfect flawless <laughs> world building. Bear McCreary's score is entirely inspired and not at all a mercenary effort by somebody t- desperately trying to create another yet another awesome fiction. No, it's not desperate. There's nothing desperate about C. It's just it's just that it's a lot of wonderful work that's put into something of sort of a questionable occasion. Here's here's um, a list of kits. The True okay. Paladin, the Chevalier. Okay. Yep. The uh, Divinate. Yes. The and en- the Envoy. Yep. The equerry. Yep. Yep. Uh, Horse boy. The, the errant. Yep. The expatriate. Yeah, that's a good chapter. I like that chapter. Ghost hunter. Okay. Yep. Uh, a little basic. The inquisitor. That's where you're like, eh. Okay, this book's pretty long. <laughs> <laughs> the medician. Yeah. No, I'm I'm going through like I'm I'm flipping two oh, yeah. three pages at a time. I found this. I'll put this in the show notes. I found it. Oh online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The militarist. Yeah, that's a good chapter. The Skywriter. Yes, yes, with the Pegasus. Yep. Uh, the Votary. I like uh, that one too. The Worm Slayer. I mean, you got to have the Worm Slayer. I mean, what are you even doing if you don't have the Worm Slayer? And that's, I guess, they must be they must be in alphabetical order because because Worm Worm Slayer was the uh, uh, was the last one. I'd like to return to the Chevalier because uh, the Chevalier has ranks. At level Ooh, zero, yes. a Chevalier candidate becomes a servant on his liege's staff yep. page. Uh, at the first level, he becomes a valet 
or valet, depending on whether you're in. Uh, there will be a quiz on this after you die. You will be asked by this, and it will be how you get a tavern or not, is if you remember what you're about to hear right it is, now. In, in speaking of the Bible, in Matthew chapter 11, when we separate the sheep from the goats, and by we, I, you know, I mean the Almighty and not, you know, Pete and me, though right. I like to think, I like to imagine a world, I like to build a world in which Pete and I sit sort of on bonk, you know? <laughs> I don't like to imagine that world at all. Judging the living and the dead, which, which we do. I the, the trouble is the backlog because we just we you know we you know each case takes like 45 46 years to decide because we just you know record you gotta a podcast watch all the tapes man uh then the chevalier becomes a stronghold knight followed by protector a warder yep. uh guardian a grand knight a bachelor yep uh, a banneret or banneret. I guess I guess I should use French pronunciations because it is a chevalier. And then finally, a lord, which uh, ironically, after having been a, a, a banneret and a chevalier, a lord is uh, an Anglo-Saxon word. So yes. there you yeah. go. If you want you don't this. Become a mar- marquis. This um. world building is terrible. <laughs> This world building is terrible, but like I, I like I remember a I remember a, a time when I loved this, all of this. Yeah, you know, you know what I mean. That like, and I wanted, and I want, and I was really like a completist about all of these things, like a little bit, like because I felt a tinge of it when you mentioned the Paladin's Handbook, which is yeah. why I went to search for it online because I was like, no, I I didn't have that one. My <laughs> my set was incomplete, you know. <laughs> my, my like yeah you know and that that it doesn't it, even to this day like i like having you know if i have like one volume of the library of america of mark twain i want all four volumes of of yeah. mark twain even if the thing i'm interested in reading is only in, is only in one of them you know yeah. um and that's uh i mean i think there is this uh, this this I don't know, weird, like collecting fetishism that is not unrelated to the phenomenon of, of, uh, world building that, that, that you're talking about, or at least how we experience it subjectively, or maybe just how I experience no, 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 it no. subjectively in my broken brain. Well, here's, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's another angle because I actually, in talking about this, I'm remembering things that I did like last night, which, <laughs> which I apparently suppressed. So, like, a very big part of this problem, I should say, is probably all the world building videos I watch on YouTube in addition to everything else <laughs> because I habitually seek out this stuff, right? I like, I can't help it and I go after it. And every uh, once in a while, you know how my YouTube recommendations just rise and fall like the ocean, you know, like big swells come through. And Pete, like, there are there are like there are Freudians out there like getting, you know, a CDs or something like that, uh, it, that just use our podcast as a source text and use it as as like a dream space. <laughs> A dream space in which we manage to work out whatever happens to be on our mind, uh, in the, in the particular day. Um, anyway, yeah, the, the, the golden doodle represents sex or death or, or death. Yes. And note, we are all, we are all arranged in a hostile relationship with it wherein it is a have and we are a have not right? exactly um, but um, okay so, so you're watching is, yeah. so okay the algorithm the algorithm has been giving you a lot of uh has been giving you a lot of world building videos is there are these like matt colville videos and whatnot not even like, oh. like, it comes and goes sometimes they're matt well okay so i was playing a dungeon dragons campaign for a long time for like three solid years i'm not right now and uh pardon me for a moment while i cough let me clear my throat. Let me clear my throat. But now I am not doing that anymore. And uh, so so that has sort of freed up a certain amount of capacity in my YouTube feed uh-huh. for like looking up Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And when I get really stressed out sometimes and have trouble sleeping, you know, you watch a couple of things and you go down a rabbit hole. Well, sure. one of the rabbit holes you can really get pulled into if you really want. On Fascism. YouTube, Fascism. No, Warhammer 40K world <laughs> okay. building. Got it. It's blood, really grim, blood for the blood and sad and go. gruesome and terrible, right? But it is fascism. Actually, it is fascism, right? Um, because a lot of that stuff is is like overtly fascist. Um, and uh, are you familiar? You're familiar with Warhammer 40K, right? Uh, yes, I am. Blood yeah. for the blood god. 
Exactly. So like you can you can go through a whole bunch of lore. There's been a whole bunch of like new lore for 40K that's come out relatively recently. Like the 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 rate at which the world has changed in 40K. And there I go calling it the world as if it really existed. Right. Um, of 40K, the, the rate at which like big changing. I can't I can't not use the word world world changing events, even though it happens across the galaxy has happened. It's accelerated uh, significantly. And so there's all sorts of new stuff that I didn't know about. And I used to be a fan of if the emperor had a text to speech device, which was a uh, awful and obscene <laughs> and brilliant and terrible uh, uh, sort of Terry Gilliam animated style take on Warhammer 40K. Um, and I, I watched that show a bunch at one point. But then they kind of had a falling out with Games Workshop over intellectual property like you do, like anybody who's around Games Workshop has eventually. And uh, and they had to stop making their show um, or they chose to stop making their show. But at any rate. Yeah, you can get a whole bunch of random freaking Warhammer 40K videos. I don't even play this game, Matt. <laughs> I don't even play this game. Never read any of the books. Don't play the game. Never played any of the video games. I play StarCraft sometimes, which is <laughs> sort of a ripoff of Warhammer 40K. But there is no fiction I'm engaging with that would be accentuated, uh, you know, would be made more enjoyable than no characters with the more meaningful relationships, no experience that would be enriched by me knowing anything more about the imaginary aliens that are not fighting each other in the imaginary universe of the grim, dark future where there is only war, right? Like it is, it is like, and it's also, it's not making me a better person. It's all terrible. They're all terrible to each other, right? Like that's the point. It's a setting wherein you can justify any fight against anyone because it's a war game uh, and it's it's blown to all proportion, uh, you know, because that's what it is. And uh, and if you want to go into that, that's a whole other podcast. And I'm not saying that Warhammer 40K is bad. I'm just saying that Warhammer 40K lore is a particular sort of very empty world building if you have no stories that are associated with it. Yeah. Um, especially because the war itself is just so grim. You, you, I, I feel like you have to. I mean, I don't think this is the case, but I, I feel like if I were going into that and I were to make any sort of story that would happen in there, the people involved would have to present some sort of contrast against the world, the world building as it exists. Cause the world building is so terrible as in like horrible and terrible and bad things are happening to people. Oh, um, sure. Terrible, yeah, terrible, so, not in the, in the sense of ineffective or, or, or you like know. poorly made. I'm sure that if you, I mean, the, you, you get so invested in playing this game. If you play it, you, you sit down with the game pieces and you hand paint them, right? Like, like many of them over years, uh, you know, it's like the bonsai tree of checkers where it's just like you just you just like cultivate and grow your game pieces over this long period of time and, and you invest yourself in them. And and for that, I think the lore has a purpose, but I don't do any of that. So the lore is pointless to me. Um, and and yet, you know, is there like a yearning for participating in a hobby that has that degree of investment? Like, is there is there some sort of desire for Starcraft to be meaningful again that's lost? I don't know. Or is it, is it just like this is a thing that other people are involved in that seems to have the characteristics of knowledge that I find like attractive and interesting, like the sort of systems of classification. Like the reason when I got really into cars, partly because of how they were classified and like uh, and the sort of dopamine cycles that came from remembering all the different kinds and their different degrees and, and types, um, the litanies and everything like that. Uh, yes. And yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's. Here's another thing, Family Matt. sedan, else- pray oh. for us. <laughs> Minivan, pray it's, for it's us. It's heresy, Matt. It's, it's a, heresy it's and the litany. Inquisition will not stand for it. Uh, but um, people all the time on social media say that they're tired, Matt. And uh, I don't get it because, you know, around here we're tired all the time and no one cares. Like, and no one has ever cared when I'm tired, really. <laughs> um, and I don't know why people post that they're tired on social media, expecting other people to care. But I will say this, that I am tired. And that one of the things I'm tired of is watching these Warhammer 40K lore videos. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> which I don't have to watch, which I could just stop, you know, <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> could you? Yeah, could you? I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, the algorithm, man, you know, it's, well, I just have to replace it with something. I don't, the Diplomat ended, so I don't have a show I'm watching right yeah, now. Yeah, for, fortunately, Pete. We're going to go into the diplomat next week, yeah. and and the point of diplomacy, 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 <laughs> diplomacy. I'm on. Oh, 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 kick it! All right, I kicked you. <laughs> Sorry. No. The point of diplomacy is to forestall 
the uh you know <laughs> a, yes. a, a war and so uh that's you know we're lucky that that uh that that's what we're going to do and we're lucky that uh there isn't an aspect of world building <laughs> to this to this <laughs> particular really. show it's very light it's super light that's it's what we wanted light. to yeah. that's what we wanted to say there was a long yes. way around the barn to make that point <laughs> as a prolegomenon to yes. our uh to any future uh diplomatic commentary meetings for the meeting have. god briefings for his briefing throne <laughs> I love, yes, absolutely. I love that bureaucracy for the bureaucracy. <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, let's leave it there, Pete. Thank you as always for a wonderful storied two hander. Uh, I'm uh, I'm very excited to uh, to jump into the show next week. And uh, thanks everybody for taking the time to listen, and and we appreciate it. Um, we appreciate all of you who uh, support us with a membership. Uh, that is to say, a, a gift of uh, a couple bucks. Every couple months that, uh, that, uh, helps us sustain our enterprise. Just kind of keep it, uh, keep it, uh, cash flow neutral. <laughs> you know, it's a, that's our goal. What, what, uh, you know, blood for the blood god was once our goal, you know, <laughs> right? Like, no, but Ruffles took that dream away from us. Right? Damn you, Ruffles. <laughs> Matt, Damn. Ruffles has the device. Ruffles has the device. The device is in the open. <laughs> oh no. Bad boy. Bad Ruffles. <laughs> Bad, bad dog. All right, this might this might get uh this might get even more ridiculous, or it might spawn a you know multi billion dollar cinematic universe. Either thing seems possible at this point. We'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Oh no, Ruffles is pushing the button! No, Ruffles!